You're listening to Radically Pragmatic, a podcast from the Progressive Policy Institute. We talk with lawmakers, policy experts, and thought leaders about the issues driving the news nationally and internationally. The Progressive Policy Institute is a catalyst for policy innovation and political reform with offices in Washington, D.C. and Brussels. Its mission is to create radically pragmatic ideas for moving America beyond ideological and partisan deadlock. We encourage analytical conversations, not your typical partisan talking points. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I want to welcome you here to our PPI podcast. This is being recorded for future broadcasts. I'm Crystal Swan. I'm the director of the Mosaic Economic Project, as well as a senior policy fellow at PPI. Mosaic is brought together to bring a group and network of qualified and diverse women experts in the fields of economics, technology, and business together who would like to and are interested in engaging in the public policy space. So we offer a bunch of different training tools around that space. Joining me today is uh, my wonderful co-host who is a graduate of the Mosaic Economic Project, Francella Ocello, and I'm gonna let her introduce herself. Yes, well, I'm so excited to be here today. And thank you so much, Crystal, just for including me. And um, thank you also, Congresswoman, for making time uh, for this conversation. My name is Francella. I am um, a longtime um, digital advocate. I think about how these things intersect not only with um, economics, education, uh, social mobility, all sorts of things, but I'm just really excited about some of the work that you're doing and some of the intersections with technology. I'm going to let you introduce yourself. I mean, but we, we are so excited to have uh, Representative Sharice Davids with us today. And I have a whole list of things I want to say. One, that you're you know, vice chair of the New Democrat Coalition, uh, T&I committee, and a whole host of things. But I, I like guests to introduce themselves and say what you'd like for us to know. Yeah, well, thank you. Um, first of all, I'm, I'm really excited to be joining you um, today. And uh, I'm Sharice Davids. I represent the third district in Kansas. I am kind of at the beginning of my second term. And uh, I sit on the Transportation and Infrastructure Committee. I'm currently the vice chair of the full committee. And then I'm also on the Small Business Committee. And I am very, very excited about both of those committees. I'm a total infrastructure nerd. And uh, a lot of that is because I think we, if we're really intentional about infrastructure, we can address a lot of equity issues, which hopefully we'll get into. Um, and then, yeah, I don't know. I want to, I'd love to just jump right into the conversation, unless there's any other stuff you want me to say about me. <laughs> no, that's totally fine. Happy okay. Pride, by the way. Um, yeah, yeah. 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 I'm doing yeah. a lot of really great um, Pride events this uh, this month so far. Mostly virtual, but glad we're starting to see more vaccines rolling out. Exactly. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So we want to, um, part of Mosaic is that we work on amplifying and advocating for the voices of women, uh, particularly minority women, uh, who are in fields like economics and technology where their voices aren't often heard. Mm -hmm. And one of the, the pieces of, the, of this is that we, we encourage them to engage in the public policy conversation. And there's no better place for them to engage than this conversation around getting women back into the workforce and what does that look like and what needs to be in, in place um, post pandemic. And so we're very interested in hearing about your thoughts on that and if there's some policies that you're particularly working on or some solutions you see coming down the road. Yeah, um, so it's been disheartening, although I don't know that I would call it 
super surprising to see that the pandemic um, and the impacts of, of a public health health crisis that turn, has turned into also an economic crisis has disproportionately impacted uh, women uh, financially uh, in the workforce when it comes to childcare, access to healthcare, every single um, aspect of, of life has been um, disrupted by the pandemic. And then um, women uh, have, have certainly, and then particularly uh, black women and, and other women of color have been um, disproportionately negatively impacted. Um, it's something that at least in the democratic caucus in um, Congress, we started talking about almost immediately because like I said, it's, um, uh, it's disheartening, it's heartbreaking, and, but it's also not as surprising. And um, that's because a, a lot of us know the negative impacts and, and disproportionate impacts that, that uh, women experience anyway. And so, you know, I think that from my perspective on the small business committee, uh, there was a lot of um, work and effort that went into one, making sure that we had the data because um, this is an area where often the, the data is just literally not there um, to, to be able to point to the, the facts and say, no, really, we're seeing a disproportionate negative impact. You know, prior to the um, start of the pandemic, and we just had a hearing about this 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 week. Can't keep track of time. Uh, it was just a couple of days ago. You know, black women entrepreneurs. It was like the fastest growing um, demographic of entrepreneurs, um, with startups, and and we were seeing like record uh, funding levels and and this sort of thing. And now, you know, we're obviously not through the pandemic yet. Um, it's June 2021. We're not through the pandemic completely yet, but we know that Black women and women, other women of color who are entrepreneurs and business owners have shuttered their businesses at a much higher rate. They have had a, a harder time accessing some of the programs that we put into place, or at least did um, at the beginning of, of new programs like the Paycheck Protection Program. And so I think that one of the things that a number of us have done is, is try to make sure that we're calling attention to these issues from the congressional um, perspective, because I think, you know, we, we all know that, that these are issues that have been being raised. You, you said it earlier that uh, too often voices aren't being heard in, in these conversations. And I would even say, where they are being heard, sometimes they're just not being listened to um, or believed. And, I, and, and that's a huge problem. Yeah, I guess um, we're also wondering, and you're absolutely right, I think it's a number something like 43% of new businesses are started by, by Black women or women of color in terms of the, um, among women. And the impact has incredibly been disproportionate. One of the, the things that we've heard even before the pandemic and only sort of got worse during the pandemic was access to capital, particularly for small businesses across the board. Um, that was just something that keeps coming up in terms of not being able to, if you don't have a certain number of, of employees that your ability and you don't have an existing strong relationship with your banking institution, there's just a real drop off in your ability 
to, to access the kind of capital necessary to keep your business going, particularly doing something like a pandemic, which is definitely not something that was sort of in the books for, for what we would be thinking about in terms of preparedness. But um, do you see that there's gonna be in terms of raising the awareness around that um, opportunities to look at the Small Business Administration and how they move through their, their regulatory work um, in ways in which to kind of say, we need to hear more from uh, black, brown and other and, and other entrepreneurs in terms of what their challenges are and, and begin to kind of think about shaping policies that might uh, be able to, to, to alleviate this or at least make sure that when the next pandemic happens, we're in a much better position. Do you see that coming down the down Yeah, the I, I do. And I think that there's actually, so one of the things, well, I want to do a caveat before I say this. One bill or even one session of Congress, even if we even if we passed all the bills that we were hoping to pass out of the like small business committee or um, uh, or even transportation and infrastructure committee with all the intentionality that I think that we need to have behind all those bills, it's still going to it's going to take a long time for us to get. I mean, we're 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 trying to address a system that's existed for a really long time. Um, and so I, I want to say that before I express my optimism about what we're about what we're doing, because um, I don't want it to seem like I think like, oh, we're about to solve it like that. So when we passed the Paycheck Protection Program, uh, the, the CARES Act with the Paycheck Protection Program um, language in there, one of the things that almost immediately we saw was, was the issue that you were just talking about, which is that the, um, the businesses that tra traditionally we see have more barriers to access to capital, that the Paycheck Protection Program didn't change that. Um, and so one of the things that we had to do uh, was, was try to figure out ways to get, to get the resources to the businesses that didn't have those big bank relationships or even reach some regional bank relationships. You know, and it, what I saw in my district was a lot of regional banks um, and, and smaller banks that were able to um, be a little more nimble and actually did more PPP lending than some of the, the massive um, uh, national banks. And um, so we saw that happening. We also looked at uh, C CDFIs, community development financial institutions, um, and uh, minority deposit institutions or M M MDIs, and and made sure that in the second tranche of funding that Congress uh, appropriated and approved, that we made sure that CDFIs and MDIs were able to to access that money uh, much quicker, and there was a set aside for that because. Um, you know, community development financial institutions often are, uh, they have uh, different um, requirements for uh, collateral maybe, or um, the number of years that somebody has to be in business or the types of businesses um, that they're making loans to. And so I think that that helped alleviate some of the issue we saw when the first you know, in the first um, round or first tranche of funding that was sent over for the PPP. The other thing that I think has happened is um, the SBA doesn't, it's under resource. Like there's not enough humans 
working in the SBA to process all of these um, all of these applications, and um, that's true of PPP of the emergency disaster loans or idle loans, the restaurant revitalization fund, which is obviously there's some um, stuff going on with the restaurant revitalization fund. It, I don't think it was funded at a high enough level because the, the money was subs oversubscribed, I think is the term that folks like to use right away. And I, and I think that anytime you've got delays, anytime you've got issues of access, the data is important because I think we probably can guess which groups are gonna get left out um, and having the data to show that is gonna, is really important. But yeah, I think that the, the approach that the small business committee has taken is to, we've had quite a few hearings about access, access to capital. I'm actually on that subcommittee. Um, well, this time I'm chairing that subcommittee. Um, so we've had a chance to have a number of, um, hearings about the access to capital issues. I mean, I think there, you know, there definitely um, are some opportunities here because we're definitely here having different conversations now um, about different populations. And I think that's, you know, that's always hopeful. So what we're, what we try to do is get those folks at the table to have the conversation and be a part of the, the policy making process, because then, <laughs> then it's much easier. I think what you're, what you highlighted about your local communities in Kansas points to the folks that are have the local relationships that have the closest relationships on the ground tend to have, you know, a broader swath of, of uh, engagement in terms of how it's really going to impact. You know what I mean? But I think that's something that we get to Washington and sometimes we don't always understand that this actually has a real life impact on someone and, and, and how to make that different. Um, one of the things that uh, we also uh, work with our, our cohort members on is how to get at the table, mm. how to be a part of the conversation. So as a former MMA fighter, I have to ask you as a you know, martial artist myself, we learn a lot of lessons in this process, right? Mm. And, in, and in this work and in, and in the being in the ring with people, you learn a lot about people. You don't know a person until you punch them in the face. So what did you bring from, from that world, from the MMA world to the world of Washington politics? So I really liked the, I really liked that you said, you don't really know a person until you, and it could be punching or kicking or ju I do jujitsu. It could oh, be, nice. you know, trying somebody trying to, to get you in a certain type of hold or something, but there is, there's so many lessons that I've learned from my time training that I, I, I carry with me in every aspect of my life. Some of that is uh, internal. I've always called, I've always, I almost always say my martial arts, because I feel like so much of what I do, um, in the world is centered on, you know, either like, well, what am I doing to make things better for the next generation or the one after that, or the one after that, um, you know, how, am I being a good sibling or friend or daughter? And I, so I spend a lot of time thinking about that, but martial arts, I have always felt like is, like that's, that's mine. Like I get to carry that, the, the journey of martial arts is like, that's, that's my journey. And um, so it's very funny when I started running for Congress, I realized just how much I've learned and how much it has impacted my view of the world, my, the way that I interact with other humans, 
because there, there are um, things that you learn about yourself that, that I bring to Congress when you train. Um, some of it is you realize how much you learn when you're uncomfortable. Mm. Um, there's so much discomfort in learning and it's easier to conceptualize when you're talking about a physical thing. Like it's depending on what kind of martial art you're doing, you know, it can be, it is very uncomfortable to get your body to move in ways that you have not moved before. And, and it's easy to say, oh, I have, I haven't moved like this before. Of course, my muscles are sore. Of course, it's hard for me to get it right every single time right off the bat. But when we're talking about something like uh, a, a policy area, or even some of the big, huge issues we've been facing, if we're talking about um, issues of race, issues of discrimination, issues of justice. For a lot of people, these are new conversations. It's uncomfortable. It can be painful. You can feel sore later. Um, and it's hard, it's hard sometimes for people to be like, oh, that's a, it's gonna be okay. Like, I'll get past this. I'm gonna learn. This is an uncomfortable part. And then it'll be just like throwing, it'll be just like throwing that punch that the first hundred times I did it, I wasn't even like, I didn't have my feet in the right place and I didn't even know it, you know? And so I think that that's a part of it. The other piece of it is um, you spend so much time getting, getting a lot of feedback from people in martial arts, depending on what kind of coach you have, maybe, you know, I, I have had coaches who like intentionally were yelling at me and trying to get me to cry. You know, your kicks look so bad. What are you doing? I can't believe you have this belt. And just to see if they could, like while I'm training, while I'm working out, if they could rattle me or not. And um, I've also had people who are like, you're doing great. Everything you do is great. You know, and um, I think what I've learned is you got to listen to that stuff, but you don't have to internalize all of it. Um, you have to understand what, what the purpose is. And in this kind of job, people might be saying stuff to you that is like, either super aggressive or very flattering and understanding like, well, what is the purpose of this conversation? What is the purpose of them conveying this stuff to me? I don't know how much of my mindset comes from martial arts, but, but a ton of it does. Like the questions I ask, the um, way I recognize also that we're all human. There is something very human and, and just basic about standing with somebody, you are punching at each other or kicking at each other, the bell rings, it's over. Okay, we're, we're not in a combative situation now. And like being able to separate those things out and recognize that can be very helpful in a situation where you are like really butting heads with somebody in a conversation about something. So I think I could probably go on for like two hours. <laughs> I could too, I could too. I'm thinking the same thing. I was like, we should, I really would love to talk to you more about that because it's because I was gonna go right into this sort of the energy exchange, whether you're standing in the conversation or you're standing in a ring with someone, it's just, you are still, you, you feel their energy before they say a word, before they throw a punch, before they do anything. And as martial artists, we're sort of fine tuned to, my my style is, is Shaolin Kung Fu. So oh, okay. you're just fine tuned to, to feel that before 
before anything physical even happens. But mm-hmm. I'm not gonna. But I want I want Francella to jump in here before. <laughs> I, I, we could I do have a few questions, and I actually want to dig into something that you just said about uh, the things that you've learned. And I think all the time about you know if you were thinking about you know, back in December of 2018, you're getting ready to go to Congress. Um, You're not sworn in yet, but you have really big dreams. What did you learn since you've gotten there or maybe something that surprised you or completely changed your perspective? It's interesting that you you used the phrase um, had big dreams because I, I feel like I was very, I'm very fortunate in that I am. I often talk about how pragmatic I am so when I, when I got here, I wasn't under any illusions that I was gonna be the person who comes in and solves equity and transportation and infrastructure. You know, I, I showed up hoping to learn a ton as quickly as possible. And I also, you know, my mom was in the army for 20 years from before I was born until after I got out of high school. And then she also, she just retired from the post office after 20 years, um, about a month ago. And so if anyone understands hurry up and wait, Mm -hmm. it's the federal government, like that sort of thing. It's, you know, it's like folks who grew up, uh, as army brats or some version of that. Um, and so I, I, I have a lot of optimism and I, and I had a lot of optimism then. I think the thing that's been most surprising has been seeing how often bipartisanship does happen. That was very surprising to me. I wasn't, I, I didn't realize how many bills get passed. On a daily basis. On a daily yeah. basis that yes. are actually bipartisan bills and are really the, just the kind of, I think that every single thing that the Congress does is important. And I mean, all of the suspension bills that are, that are broadly accepted by everybody, it's the general functioning of the, of the Congress so that the you know, uh, executive side can execute on those um, laws so that the funding is there and all of, all of that sort of thing. But I, I was surprised at just how much bipartisanship there actually was. I wasn't as surprised about the big, the big stuff, the stuff where you really see a lot of head buddy. You know, like I was surprised that, I guess I was surprised at the number of people who say one thing and, and do another. And I, I mean, I'm not going to say any names or any kind of stuff yeah. like that, but just kind of like hearing and seeing people talk about stuff and like where they're, where, where they feel like they're at, you know, and, and I, I think we've just seen a lot of that, particularly in this session of Congress. That was, that's been well said. Um, And actually, I want to dig in on one thing that you said about you've been surprised by the amount of bipartisanship. Uh, When we started this conversation, you brought up the, uh, when we were talking about the connectivity could, if we actually, the way that we think about broadband and other infrastructure could actually help solve some of the equity issues that Mm -hmm. we have. Um, Do you think that there, even if there's disagreement on what is the definition of infrastructure, Mm -hmm. do you think that there is bipartisan agreement on that sentiment? Yeah, I do. I think that the the place where well, it doesn't surprise me that there there is a uh, an argument about what about the definition of something <laughs> like that seems about right. I mean, I guess I'm a I'm a lawyer, so to me it seems. And I and I used to do mergers and acquisitions. Don't hold it against me. Um, 
And that was where a lot of our, that was where a lot of the arguments were, was like, how are we defining this particular term? So I'm, I'm not surprised that we're having an argument, especially with the way that technology is changing and all this sort of thing. I don't think it was all that long ago that some people were saying that broadband isn't infrastructure, you know, and now it's so clear, like, obviously, roads connect us, broadband connects us, like, we have to, we have to make sure that, that everybody has access to it. I think that, I think that the agreement is there that certainly that broadband is, um, uh, and access to broadband is super important across the board. I haven't heard any, like, I, it might, it might be more like, how, how do we get there? Is this something that the that should be state, federal, public-private partnerships? You know, to me, those are the places where I see more of the arguments. Got it. Well, I do want to make sure that I get to uh, take um, moderator's privilege here and get to dig into some rapid-fire questions. Um, I do have six short answer questions. Oh my gosh, mine have actually expanded to eight. Okay. <laughs> so. <laughs> and do short answer questions. Um, but I'm just interested in what you're thinking. I think all the time, you know, for those of us who live in DC, um, you know, I know that we're close to you guys, but we still get starstruck. I will tell you, there was a senator, um, it was one of my first days uh, running around on the Hill trying to, I was actually working on broadband stuff and net neutrality at the time. And I was like, so focused on getting to this office. I get off of the elevator and walk into this person. And I was like, oh my gosh. And he was like, hi. And I was like, I just saw you on MSNBC. <laughs> and so to this day, his staffer still makes fun of me. But, you know, I was like, I feel like we're always so starstruck because I know that you guys are normal people. So I'm going to ask you questions. Just like if I went home, people would ask you normal questions. Okay. Um, so starting with what was the last thing that you read? That I read? Uh-huh. The last full book I read was a, a sci-fi book book okay it's like the seventh in a series I can't I don't even know the name of it I just know the series is called cast under an alien sun so okay well I like it um what's the issue or the story that sticks with you from the campaign trail something that continues to fuel your work so today because of some of the supreme court stuff that's going on during my during my campaign um in 2018 the Kansas legislature passed uh, a religious freedom bill to say that uh, LGBTQ people, that agencies didn't have to work with them for, on adoptions and foster care. Okay, what is the meal that reminds you of home? My, my mom used to make um, these like steaks. So it's like a specific okay. way my mom made these steaks when I was growing up. A home-cooked meal, I love it. Yeah. If, yeah. You, if your closest friends or family could describe you in a word or two, what would it be? I, I have a feeling it would probably be like earnest and I hope funny. Okay. I'll take it. What is a misconception that people have about community college students? Someone once said that they were glad that I, that I talk about my community college ex experience in a positive way. And I don't know how else I would talk about it. So okay. I think maybe that, that there would be anything, but like a, almost like a pride of uh, accomplishment. That's awesome. When you have a rough day on Capitol Hill, what is one thing that instantly makes your day better? Oh, my girlfriend. Okay. And then also, what is the best career decision that you've made? Doing the White House Fellowship. Oh. 
I say that as if I decided, but it's a very competitive process. So, but like the applying for that and getting a chance to do that. That's right, awesome. One, Thank you for sharing. One last one. What is or would be your walkout music for a committee hearing? Oh, <laughs> I did my walkouts. I did, um, sometimes I did either a Ho-Chunk flag song or, uh, which is my tribe, or I did um, the army and like an honor song for, for army um, service members and veterans. And they're both songs that are like, that you would hear at like a powwow or something. But I don't, I don't have like a, I'll, I'll come up with a, a pop, a pop type song or something. No, I, I love the ones you, I love what you came up with. Those are awesome. Those are awesome. Thank you. I, I think we are, we're officially done. Awesome. Thank and so we much should, for your time. Let's do a podcast just about the ways that martial arts and uh, training can influence good policymaking. Oh, yes, we are. Tommy, Don't threaten Crystal that. with a good time. No, no, Don't threaten no, no. her with a good time. I was waiting for it. I said, we're going to have this conversation oh, somewhere. So, no, thank, thank you so you much all. for your time. We really do appreciate you. Thanks so much. It's fun. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Oh, we're so doing it. Oh, come on. Thanks for listening. Want to learn more about the Progressive Policy Institute? Follow us on Twitter at PPI and on Facebook at Progressive Policy Institute, or go to our website at progressivepolicy.org. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen and check back for new episodes. We'll talk with you soon.